Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Scott Offord, the creator of Crypto Mining. Scott's a broker of ASIC mining gear and helps people buy and sell their miners. He created a Bitcoin mining profitability calculator and an interactive ASIC hardware comparison chart that you can find at CryptoMining.Tools. It's the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI. That includes the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having. The calculator lets you put in your estimated uptime to give you a more realistic profit projections. So check it out and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. Links are in the show notes. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro, the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with low and transparent fees. And if you're not ready to trade yet, practice building your crypto portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. Best of all, you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders around the world, myself included, to discuss trading, charts, and all things crypto. Create an account at eToro.com. Links in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. Untold Stories is powered by BlockWorks Group, the only event and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, Visit them at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. The past is not dead. It's not even past. This quote has been in my head all weekend since I watched the documentary about Anderson Cooper and Gloria Vanderbilt. She says it a lot, and I didn't really understand what it meant. So I spent the weekend kind of like playing it over my head and doing some research, and it just rung a tone with me that I wanted to understand how this quote applies to crypto. The past is not dead. It's not even past. The way I took that quote is that we're constantly making memories and we're constantly growing and building and learning. And there's no such thing as the present or the past. It just is. For example, the fact that I'm even talking to you right now, that's already in the past. So if we're talking one year, five years, 10 years, It doesn't really matter in the longer scheme of things. The reason I bring this up now is because the industry of crypto is always growing and it's building and it's evolving. And yeah, sure, there are early adopters who got involved in 2011, 2012. But my listeners, you guys know that I interview people from 2015 and I interview people who got involved in the space even six months ago. It's very important because these are people that really put an impression like stamping on metal in the future of crypto. And we have to remember at the same time that markets are efficient when we allow them to be. And when we allow our own market and our own industry to grow and to create its own fate, that allows us to really become who we want to be. My next guest, Ian Bellina, is very important in the space because he got involved not in the early days, but only a few years ago. But that attitude that he brought, the hustler attitude, the 
we're going to do whatever we need to get done and to build and to grow, to create content and to bring on the next wave of crypto enthusiasts and lovers in the space is something that I think will be remembered for a very long time. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure, Charlie. I'm so honored to be here. So we've spent the weekend together and we played some poker last night and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got to know you a little bit and I'm excited to get to know you more. What was interesting, and I remember our conversation sitting down waiting for a table for brunch yesterday and we were chatting mm -hmm. and, and I asked you, you know, what are some pivotal moments of your life that you remember that really made you who you are? And these moments are something that you remember every single day when someone asks you the same question. Do you remember some of those moments? Yes, um, so many so many things come to mind. I would say the first one was January 2018. I was on vacation in Tokyo, Japan. It was me and my good friend Uga, who's now my business partner with the 100X Advisors, uh, and my coworker from IBM, Andrew. And this was, my, this was my, my first time in Japan, first time in Asia. As a kid, I grew up watching anime, playing video games, Dragon Ball Z, all that stuff. So for me to finally travel to Japan uh, on my own as an as an adult, and be, I was like, you know what? I made it. Right? I was in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. This was probably 60 floors up. My entire wall was clear glass screen, and I had the skyline of Tokyo in front of me. Took a deep yes. breath. So I would just breathe that in. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm here. I'm really here. Uh, at that time, I was about 27, 28. I was making almost half a million dollars working at IBM. I felt like I was on top of the world. Oh, so this wasn't even crypto yet. This, yeah, I'm thinking crypto. this is the, this is the, crypto. the crypto thing. Prior to crypto. And I said, you know what? Very, very, so many millennials would just savor this moment and want to be here. They would die to be there. Yeah, they would die to be there. But to me, I realized, despite having all this success, despite making so much money at a young age, I had to go back to America. And I told myself, my visa's gives me 90 days to be here. Why do I have to go back? And that's when it dawned on me that it wasn't about making money anymore. It was about making my own money and taking back control of my time. Because even though I was 28, making almost half a million, I still had somebody controlling where I went and what I did. And that didn't, that didn't really sit, sit well on me. So I went back to America after vacation and it, I said, you know what? By the end of the year, by December 2018, I'm going to quit my job at IBM and be self-employed, no matter what. So I basically gave myself uh, an ultimatum and said, no matter what, I'm going to quit my job. Even if, even if I have to be homeless and go, go back and stay with, with, with my parents, I'm still going to do it. So I basically began burning the ships, kind of like that, uh, uh, that famous explorer Cortez. I told myself, you know what? Let me downsize all my expenses and just focus on my side hustles. So at that time, I was doing things like Amazon FBA. I was making two to four grand a month just importing stuff from China. What, and what's a side hustle? A side hustle is something I I would do on the side, like my weekends, uh, outside the nine to five hours to make extra income. Right. So to me, even though I was making good money at IBM, I wanted to make my own money. So the goal for me was to make my own money on the side on, on the weekends to a point where 
it was close to what I was making at IBM or at least over six figures annually so that I could quit and be comfortable and still be able to do what I enjoy doing. So I be, so I was doing the Amazon thing. I was doing, I had a video production company I was doing on the side. I do that every weekend, filming conferences, filming uh, events. Uh, even at, at one point, I made more, mo- more money one month from doing that than I did from working at IBM, about uh, seven grand in one month. Wow. And I also had a startup I was doing, which was kind of towards the tail end of its uh, career. Wasn't really becoming that successful, but it was a iPhone application. It was a on-demand freelancer marketplace. So think like Fiverr, like like or like Uber for freelancers. Like gig and all these stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was a whole it was catering towards the gig economy. But why? I mean, so you want to be financially independent, but one would think that having a great job at IBM, one of the largest companies in the world, and making that much money is, I mean, financial independence. What? What uh, motivated really. you to to continue doing? I would side say thing? my first three years at IBM were great. I was working as a sales engineer, working under IBM Analytics brand. Uh, but my last year, when I, when I began making more money, I changed from being your, your typical sales engineer and became this sales ex- executive. Right, so I had lots of Fortune 500 accounts that I had, was responsible for. I had to close a quota of over two million dollars every six months in IBM software sales. And the sales world was so cutthroat, totally different from the from being an engineer, uh, something I wasn't really used to. Even though I did well, the stress it gave me wasn't really something I wanted to be in. I felt it was very toxic. And it was so toxic that I thought if I stayed in, in this environment for five to ten more years, I would start turning gray. I would start growing gray hair. <laughs> and I knew that this would kill me. Right. So I knew that I really had to build the life that I wanted that was that didn't really have as much stress as I, as I had at IBM. Right? So I was doing all that. I began doing Airbnb. Uh, actually, so, sorry, I was doing that for a while, Airbnb for a while. And I was doing crypto. And I said, you know what? I have all these different side hustles I'm doing. I'm sure somebody can get value from this. So let me start making content. Right? So I launched my channel, Diary of a Made Man, on YouTube. Began putting out content. At that time, I had a following of about 500 subscribers. Before before you get to that point, I have two questions. Most people listening, they they are good at something and mm-hmm. they want to be able to create content for that. But how do you get to the first step? I mean, how do you even get 500 subscribers? 500 subscribers is a lot. How do you even get to that point? Because once you get to yeah. 500 or 1,000, then you can hockey stick up and something can go viral. But how do you just jump to that point if someone's good at... I don't know, knitting cat bandanas or something, and they want to make a YouTube oh, video man, out of yeah. it. I mean, I would say it takes a long time, I'll be honest, and you have to just not care. Right? You have to be almost delusional in a way. Initially. Isn't that how that works? You care right. so much, but the more you pretend to not care, that's when it actually you yeah. become successful. Yeah, because I would say the first 500 people were probably from my prior channel where I would just vlog where I began just putting out vlogs on YouTube where I would travel different places and make videos and add some music and stuff and maybe just kind of do like a short journal on it on online. And began with just friends, like maybe like 10 friends. Then after a while, we went to like 100, then 500 over like two years. Right? So, yeah, it took a long time. But after a while, I basically found my sweet spot. Okay. Which was crypto. I did I did a video just kind of explaining... Bitcoin and Ethereum 
to beginners. That was about forty minutes to an hour long. What type of videos was it? Was it like it was exciting just, and fun and like kind of quirky? Yeah, it was it was a very in depth video. Okay, I was I filmed it in a, in a baseball field. In a baseball field. <laughs> yeah, baseball field close to a place that I was staying at. With a camera, like were yeah, you running with, the bases. No, no. <laughs> so I just put the camera on home on, on home plate. I was basically by the pitching mound. Okay. And I just began rambling for an hour. But I had done my research. I had some notes. And right? no one wanted to use the baseball fields? Like, no one wanted to play baseball this was, on it? At that time, no. This was, like, on a Wednesday at, like, 4 p.m. Okay. Most kids were probably in school, people at work. And one I, of the perks I of having a job where you work why, at home. Why, why baseball field? Because uh, I knew that changing the scenery in the background would keep people more engaged. or something that was different. Right? And I need to start doing these podcasts on my boat. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great, right? Boat boating with Charlie. <laughs> yeah, balling with Belina. Yeah, so yeah, I just kind of filmed that. Then that was the best. That was the most well received video I did with my audience. Okay. And they said, you know what? All this other stuff, all this other side hustle stuff is good. We want to know more about Bitcoin and Ethereum. So a friend of mine who I'd known for a while from DC, he had built up a large following on YouTube. He had over 100,000 subscribers teaching people how to rap, right? So he told me, if, when you get your first big video, for me at that time, 5,000 views or so was, I can rap. was pretty good. He said, make the same content, double down. So I, said, so I said, okay, cool. My next content was an ICO video. And that one went viral, right? That ended up getting over 350,000 views. And that kind of put, put me in alignment to end up quitting my job by... September 2018. Right, so kind of fast-forwarding through my whole story. Right, The other point that was pretty big for me, I was in a hotel room in Boston. It was 4 a.m. in the hotel room, and I was up on a computer working. At this point, I had built a pretty decently-sized community. I had about 2,500 people or so in my Telegram group. And my YouTube channel was probably five to 10,000 at that time. Wow. And my community was getting so big to a point, people said, you know what, Very Ian, active group, too. Yes, yeah, I was very engaged. People said, hey, Ian, you know what? We want to have a private group, right? This group is getting too big. We want something more intimate. And we're willing to pay you for it. And to me at the time, I didn't really want to have multiple groups. So I said, you know what? Uh, not right now. Then people in my community began to fork off and create their own groups, and then they would start doing OTC deals and get scammed. Then they would all come back to me and complain. But your name was on it, or they forked from your group, so yeah, it's the, still the, yes. your brand reputation. Yeah, so my brand was still tied to it indirectly, huh. right? And I said, you know what? I'm tired of this. Let me just make the private group. So I spent up the la like one or two hours, launched a Patreon, a private Patreon group, and I pushed send to publish the page, and I sent out the alert to my community. I had probably five different tiers from private alerts to my spreadsheet to a private to telegram group to a private video call group to a private one-on-one -on -one call group and in in about one to two hours it's sold out really yeah and f so i pushed send and i was planning to just go to sleep but when i saw the subscriptions rolling in i said holy cow how much money came in in that first 24 hours so actually in the first three hours, it sold out, and I basically had subscriptions for about 60 grand a month. Wow. 
And I said, holy shit, <laughs> I can quit my job. <laughs> where, where, where did you learn how to sell? I would say two, two ways. Uh, in college, when I was an entrepreneur, launching my own companies. So this isn't my first foray into entrepreneurship. So having to take an idea and sell it to the world and have people believe in you, go out there and pitch at business competitions, it really taught me to really break down an idea and make it easy for people to understand. Right? So that's the first place I learned to sell is just being an entrepreneur. The other place I learned to sell was with IBM. Right? So I worked there for four years. But the first one year in IBM, they take you through what's known as IBM Summit. It's basically global sales school. It's like so, the farm. Yeah. So for one year, they paid me, they pay you a, a full salary to just go through IBM college on how to sell. And that really taught me a lot to a point I became very successful at it. I ended up making the IBM 100% Sales Club, which is being one of the best sales engineers in the world. What do you get for that? They flew me to the Bahamas for a conference. They gave me a nice nice bonus that wow. year. right? Uh, and for me, uh, that was pretty cool. Right, so I mean, IBM taught me a lot about how to sell large value and high pri high priced are, items. Are you born with the ability to sell, or is it something that you learn over time? Learn. Okay, and you have to be you have to be fearless. Basically, you have to yeah. not give a shit in order to be able to sell. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But I have a question. I have a question. Uh -huh. um, I have a lot of questions. This is my, this yeah. is my show. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong. This is like mm -hmm. a true or false question. People that grow up in school and have low self-esteem like myself mm -hmm. and low self-confidence mm -hmm. going through school and having to create their own confidence are better salesmen when they're adults. Yes, absolutely. That I, that I believe so. I mean, myself as well, right? I mean, I was very introverted growing up. I was an engineer. Didn't really have, besides school and soccer, didn't really have much of a social life, right? I come from a very strict Afghan family uh, from Uganda, and to them it was all about school and school. <laughs> Everything else didn't really mean anything, right? You, so tell me, so you moved here um, with your father? Yes. From yeah. from Uganda? Yeah. How old were you? I was eight years old, moved to Pennsylvania to, to state college. This is so interesting because I know so many people that go to Pennsylvania when they move to this country. Why Pennsylvania? My dad was pursuing his doctorate at Penn State. Uh, so he went there for four, four and a half years. Like that's your whole first impression of America is Pennsylvania. Yeah. I mean, because we thought we're going to like New York or LA. Yeah, like, that's what everyone thinks. We thought we're going to Hollywood, <laughs> would have gold in the streets, Hills, skyscrapers, yeah. you know, rich and famous people. And we land in the middle of nowhere. And you're hanging out with the Amish people. <laughs> yeah, I know like... This is America. <laughs> I lived around there for two years. I that's a great the breadbasket of the country. Great food, but nothing else yeah. really to do there. But I mean, amazing people, like very yeah. friendly, very down to earth, and it was it was definitely quite the experience. But I had lots of culture shock, right? So here I am, this kid from Uganda coming here, uh, with an African accent, trying to fit in different culture, and it definitely took me a while to adjust, right? It definitely, I think, made me even more reserved than I was before. Okay. Right, cause, but now you're the complete opposite. Yeah, now, but it, it took me a while. Like, right? kind of like as you said, right? It took me a while to really get out of, out of my shell, and I think that really happened when I went to college, and really just had to take big risks and and fail. Right, I think because in college I was there for undergrad and grad school. Yeah, those six years really taught me a lot about just self belief, 
right? That's when I began reading all the self-help books. I read so many books. and I was probably averaging a book a week, right? Because unlike most people in college who were commuting, I mean, I mean uh, uh, boarding on campus, uh, I was there on a merit scholarship at uh, George Washington uh, in D.C. And my parents couldn't really afford everything, right? So to save money, I had to commute from school. So this is something I don't, I don't think I've told it anywhere else, right? That's why we have untold stories. Yeah. <laughs> so every single day, five to six days a week, I would take the metro from Maryland to D.C., one hour each way, so two hours a day. And I would kill that time by just listening to audiobooks, podcasts, and I learned so much because it really became my education time, right? So, And I was going through so many different books that I really began to improve as a person, right? So imagine doing that for five to six times a week for six years. How long was the commute? An hour. It was about 45 minutes to an hour each way. Alone? Alone, right? So from when I was uh, 17 to like 22, 23. And you're going to a school where most kids are dropped off by chauffeurs or their parents. Yes, yeah, most kids were rich, right? So, And that was kind of an an adjustment for me, right? Because people would pull up to the school in BMWs with a coupe or the dump down, right? And here, here I was. I didn't, didn't even have a license yet. <laughs> oh my so, I mean, it definitely made me kind of hungry, right? That's so, the key word. That's the key word, hungry. Yeah. If, that, if there's any takeaway from this show, my listeners, is you have to want it. You have to be hungry. Ian didn't become successful, as we all know, because he had it. He wanted it because he didn't have it. He saw what other people had and he said, I want that. And the world doesn't owe me anything and the world is not going to give it to me. I have to earn it my own way. Yeah, that's totally true. I feel like you have to take accountability to change your life. And I think that's probably one of the things I value the most because I never put blame on anybody for anything, like even my own failures, right? Because I know the moment you blame somebody else, it takes away the power for you to change it. Right, But if you take accountability for anything, even if it's somebody else's problem, if you take accountability yourself and say, you know what, I'm going to fix it or I'm, I won't let this happen again, that empowers you. Right. So, I mean, that was basically me kind of growing up, going through college uh, and just really putting myself out there and failing and just trying to learn from that. So anyway, back to Boston. That was the other big time in my life that kind of made me. That that's really changed everything for me after that, right? Because I was doing crypto, and I had some good money, but having that, I mean, ha- having my my investments in crypto, and also having that extra income coming in from my Patreon at the time, really told me, you know what, I can quit. So at the end of the month, I put in my re- resignation and left IBM, and I haven't looked back ever since then. Then the other part that's really been big for me was last year. This was around December 2018. I'm traveling in Cairo, Egypt. This is part of our Africa Crypto World Tour. So I'm in Cairo, Egypt in a hotel room. And I'm like, okay, I'm here in Egypt. My first time in Africa. I mean, I, the idea was to go back to home to Uganda, right? I hadn't been home back in Uganda in over 21 years since I came to America. And I'm there in my hotel room. And I, I get 
uh, people messaging me on my Telegram group. You have a lot of epiphanies in hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's where lots of stuff happens for me, right? It's kind of like my alone time because I, I basically live in a suitcase now, right? I try to travel a lot. And I'm there in the hotel room, and I begin getting death threats from people online. And it came to a point where I myself began to get scared. I'm like, are these people really coming after me? Right? So everywhere I was walking, I'm kind of looking over my shoulder, wondering, is somebody, is there a hitman trying to come after me? And that was the first time I had really began to feel that, right? Because I was somebody who was used to adversity, right? Especially with people on, online, on social media, right? So all the trolls, all the, the haters, or whatever you want, you want to call them, I was used to that. But when it began getting violent and people basically putting out images of my head, getting beheaded, things like that, that were now getting graphic. And it really dawned on me because I was there in the hotel room talking to my mom and dad on the phone on a, on a three-way call as we were calling the FBI to, to, to uh, file a report. And when I found that report with my local police and with the FBI, that really told me, you know what? Now you have to really question everything in terms of why I'm, why am I doing this? Like, is this worth it? I mean, so I've always wanted to go out there, evangelize crypto, help people. And yes, I'm definitely not perfect, right? I definitely have my ups and downs and my mistakes. We all do. But when it comes to a point where I'm there with my mom and my dad, and they're scared for me, as we're talking to the FBI, that really made me become even more reserved and not really as open with my community, right? Uh, to a point where some of them say, hey, Ian, you're kind of missing in, a- in action. You're not posting as much. Because uh, I'm not really saying, okay, yes, people will love you when they're making money. But as I was t- talking to Jeremy Garner the other day, right, he's been through several bull and bear markets. This was my first bear market in crypto, right? So at one point, people thought you're a crypto god. Oh, yeah. But when the market comes crashing down, people... Think they hate on you. You made you oh, made yeah. everything go Been down. Been there, done right? that. People think I'm, I made Bitcoin go down. <laughs> yeah, they, they blame you. Listen, just like you said, people are gonna blame you for anything. People are gonna blame anyone else but themselves. So while the price is going up, you're a god, and the price is going down, it's your fault. Um, mm. That's just the way it is. And you should have called me when <laughs> things like this were going happen because I would have told you like the best way to do it is to take a step back. Yeah. But why were people making death threats? I, I've had similar situations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, someone stole my wife's phone number and texted me from it and threatened to kill me and said, "I'll give you know thirty thirty wow. Bitcoin." Um, yeah, some crazy some crazy stuff has happened to me. But I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I would say people when crypto went came down over ninety percent pulled back. They wanted they wanted somebody to blame. So and for me, I was I think I was a very easy target because I was out there, right? Yes. I posted my blockfolio every day for over over a year. Uh, I would get very excited about crypto and my and whatever I was investing in, right? To a point, people would think I'm, I was a big shill, and they liked that when they were making money. But once either they didn't, didn't take profits or sell, or they would hold all the way down or whatever, then they viewed me as the the person responsible for that. And they almost wish you, like, ill, like, besides for death threats. um, I remember there was a, 
there was a you got hacked right there was yes, an issue with that yeah. and people i was so shocked and i said is this my community when i when i was reading that because people were being so negative and saying yeah you deserve it no no one deserves that yeah i mean uh yeah so i got hacked uh, probably six months before the the death threats but even yeah that as well right so people in my community as well people that i thought loved me and were there as long-term supporters flipped overnight right yes, basically and and one of my lowest moments in crypto people who i thought were going to be there for me abandoned me right and that's when it really made me kind of question everything as well right because i said okay people are going to love you when things are good but as soon as things get bad not everyone is going to be there right but it also made me realize those people who stayed there with me those are real friends right even those people who i've never even met who still support me no, no matter what because they just kind of seen my journey and everything everything that's transpired. I, I mean, I can definitely empathize with them. As a mining equipment broker, Scott Offord wants to make sure his clients are well-informed and making data-backed business decisions. Scott created the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI for miners. It's a better way to compare the efficiency of various models of ASIC miners and to see how the price of the miner and the efficiency impacts your mining profitability. So check it out at CryptoMining.Tools and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. eToro's crypto trading made easy. It's one of the largest and smartest trading platforms in the world with low and transparent fees. Join myself and 11 million other traders and create an account today at eToro.com. Links in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. In the hard times is when you learn who your real friends are. Um, in 2014, I got arrested at the height of the bull market. Mm-hmm. So, you know, preceding that, everyone was my best friend. Everyone loved me. Everyone was making money. This was, I was on top of the world. And then I got arrested. And within one day, my whole life came crashing down. I had to literally, within one day, move from living in my own apartment above a nightclub to living back with my parents with an ankle bracelet. And that experience really taught me who my real friends were because there were so many people that I thought were my friends that that weren't, that just completely disappeared and left. But then there were other people who were not really good friends who stepped up to the plate and became my good friends. And I think one of the guards in jail for those 18 months in prison joked to me and he said that I had the most visitors that any inmates ever had. Oh, wow. He said, wow. he said, whenever, yeah, usually it's like an inmate has some similar friends and family. They come once a month, whatever it is. But every visiting, I'd had random people. Um, I had one in, in, a, in, a, in a prison in Pennsylvania, right by State College. Mm-hmm. I had one of the only people, you, know, you have to show ID to visit someone in prison. I had one of the only people to actually... Um, use a passport to visit me in prison. He came from out of the country, came from Austria, flew That's incredible. to Philadelphia just to visit me in prison, um, just to hang out in, in for a few hours and eat a microwave cheeseburger with me. Um, and of course, my wife was there every 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 visit, and she would like have to do a little orientation for people. Like, hey, this is what you're going <laughs> to expect. You know, like, yeah. uh, I think one person like smelt like weed and she's like, you can't come inside because <laughs> there are a lot of addicts in there. Yeah, You're going to like, you know, that. but that's who you learn, who your real friends are. I remember there were, um, when I was living in my parents' house, people would show up with bottles of scotch, you know, just, hey, Charlie, we want to hang out. 
But then there are people that I thought were my real friends. A perfect example is I had founded the Bitcoin Foundation in 2012. And the original board by that point wasn't the original board of my founders with. And, you know, the, the idea for the foundation was actually completely different than what it became. The idea for the foundation was to become was to basically pool our resources together and have this, um, you know, take out billboards and TV ads and have this common like, you know, pro Bitcoin message and ended up becoming this whole like industry trade group that it wasn't meant to be. But that's a side conversation. Most of the original founders had left and I was still there and I was being pushed out. And the day I was arrested, I got the, the, the instead of the board of the foundation that had a lot of money at the time, they didn't care about me. The first call I got from the foundation was, yeah, Charlie, you need to resign from your vice chairmanship. And I was like, guys, like I'm at my lowest point. Mm-hmm. And that's all you care about is the is the message of the foundation right now. Like, and that hurt a lot because this was something that I had founded. And you really learn who your real friends are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but you know what? It makes you a better person because now here we are about to go through another epic bull market. And those people who abandoned us are going to come back and they're going to want to work with us. And I won't I won't have any and I'm sure you won't either. You won't have any. Uh, ill will and you won't have any um, anger towards these people but at the same time we're going to never forget we're going to remember we'll forgive but we're never going to forget we can forget but we can't forget and when it comes time for us to have to trust those people again we're going to take a step back and say why should I trust you when you weren't there during the hardest moments of my life where were you when I was getting death threats that's what you yeah. you say. And where were you when people were coming after you where were you when I got hacked and I needed you to help me out yeah, I mean, I, like for me, what comes to mind are even other YouTubers or influencers that I've helped kind of mentor. And now they've gone to a point where they even have bigger followings than me on on Twitter or wherever. But during my darkest moments, they didn't even mention anything about me. They didn't even stand up for me, right? Whether it's the fake tax allegations from the hack or whatever, they just kind of faded away, Right. And now that we're kind of getting back into a nice bull market, I've kind of learned from everything. So now coming full circle, I'm more cautious, right? So what I'm planning on is I want to empower people to make their own decisions for researching and investing in cryptocurrencies. I want to give them their own tools to empower themselves and kind of step away from being in the, in the spotlight as that, that hot t- token picker. Right, so I'm trying to get away from being Jim Cramer and trying to give people their own tools to to empower themselves. So now I'm focused on building. You're giving away. You're giving away your tools essentially. Yes, yeah, I'm basically uh, actually I'm building an even better tool and I'm going to give that away to people. Right, so I'm going to be I'm going back to being more of an entrepreneur and building as opposed to being a a pundit, so to speak. Yeah. Right, being out there online as a commentary and just kind of analyzing or being a influencer, right? I want to go back to being building, to building, because that's really, to me, what makes me happy, right? I love building. I love getting something that's just an idea and bringing that into reality. So in a few years from now, we're going to be having another conversation. We'll have, hopefully we'll have a lot of conversations between now and then, but we'll be having a conversation then. And we'll be talking about how successful your new company has been and you built and how many people you empowered, how many people were able to become financially independent. And we'll be talking about that. And you know what I'm going to say to you? I'm going to say, if you hadn't gone through that bull market, 
in 2016, 2017, and been through all that good and bad and positive and negative and all that shit, mm-hmm. then you wouldn't have been able to have built what we will be talking about in a few years from now. And when we talk about markets being efficient, when we allow them to be, that's what we mean. That makes so much sense. And I mean, my life has been that. I've I've gone through the bull market, the top, the top of the top, and I've gone all the way down to the bottom. And now having all of that now in me as experience has made me more aware in terms of, okay, next time, <clears throat> so in the future, as I'm building this, I now have better perspective, right? So I'm not just somebody who's only one dimension now. I've kind of seen everything in terms of the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. And I know when the new people come into this space, I'm going to be optimistic, but also cautious and well, well-mannered well in terms of how I speak to them, how I create content for them, how I build this product for them. What would you say to people that are coming to the space right now? Uh, I mean, so my catchphrase is, what a time to be alive. Right? This is definitely a very... You have a lot of catchphrases and you trademark them all. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's, it's uh, just something I, I love to do, right? Because I feel like it's, it's part of the sales process. It's right? assets. You, you have to have assets. You have to give people something that communicates an idea very simply, right? And I feel like what a time to be alive really captures that. This is a... Looking back, we're building the future. We're building a brand new internet. And we, looking back 20 years from now, we'll say we were there on the ground floor making stuff happen. But despite that, the world have to understand the risks involved. Right? So similar to the, to the dot-com era, we had lots of companies, dot-coms, launch websites, do IPOs, but only a few giants remain, right? Amazon, Google, eBay. So we have to put that in, in perspective, right? When I joined the space, I was just throwing money at anything that could walk, anything that had a token on it I thought could make money. Then eventually I began getting smarter and I began doing research and my system began to work pretty well to a point where I was outperforming the market, right? So in a, in a time where most ICOs, you, you could say four out of five were scams, Yeah, four out of five of my investments were getting a 5x or higher. And that was good, but no system is perfect, right? So you have to really know that, okay, you know what? No matter how good things are, always be ready for the worst thing to happen. And in my case, uh, I've had lots of other investments that have totally crashed and bombed. And that's happened to me publicly to a point where everybody can see it. So I basically have to be more stoic, right? So even other people, as they're coming into the space, be stoic. When times are good, don't think you're a genius. And diversify. Right? When times are bad, don't think you suck, right? (laughs) So yeah, diversify, uh, be... Just be be stoic, right? Think this is a great time and great space to be in, but we have to be re- calm as we're going through this this phase. It's kind of like as we're riding the the boat on the ocean, we have to be stoic and calm. I think a lot of my guests and a lot of crypto people that I meet suffer from imposter syndrome. Are you familiar with that? Uh, slightly. So I didn't, I didn't know what it was and the listeners are going to be Googling it now. (laughs) Imposter syndrome is, it's a real, like, it's a real, well, as real as it can get, but it's a, it's a psychologically accepted, um, um, disorder Mm -hmm. where highly successful people like ourselves don't, the more successful we are, the less 
confident we become in ourselves because we believe that we're imposters. We feel like the more successful we are, we shouldn't actually be successful. And I may be describing it wrong, but it's essentially we think of ourselves as unsuccessful when we are successful. And when I read that, I was like, wow, I actually understand this because I'm constantly thinking that I'm failing, but, but I'm succeeding. Um, but I think it's not a disorder. I think it actually, it's a positive thing because it's constantly giving you drive. You, you're not, you're not happy with your current success and you want to constantly becoming, become more successful. And I told you that personally, I don't gauge success by how much money I make. I gauge success, me personally, by how many people I employ. Because mm-hmm. I like, I like, I feel like it's a very, I sleep at night knowing when I'm, when I'm empowering people, and they work for me, I give them health insurance, you know, all these different things. That's something that I believe that it makes me a pro-social member of society. Um, but completely off topic, different co- question I actually had. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but what were some of the craziest pitches that you heard? I'm just curious. Craziest pitches. Yeah. Like companies or tokens or projects where you literally were like, Putting the company on mute and saying to yourself, like, what the hell is this? Oh, man. Um, a few come to mind. Uh, one was in Dubai. Some company was doing a security token for for gold or something, trying to raise... For goats? Gold. Oh, gold. Gold okay. or something, trying to raise $250 million. Um, one was banana coin. Somebody, banana? What's banana coin? Somebody, somebody was trying to tokenize bananas. I love bananas. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they obviously didn't know me that well because they know that that would be an instant hard pass for me, right? Because I'm trying to focus on the technology, not really tokenizing bananas. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I mean, I've heard so many pictures that it's now kind of become noise, right? From people just trying to raise money with nothing that they think is going to change the world, and they have no experience, no product, no nothing, and they think by aligning with me, that I'm going to publicly endorse them and help them achieve their goal. But I think if I had to really pick one, uh, there was a company that wanted to bring me on, on as an advisor. This was back in, I think, early 2018. They were building an exchange. And I knew a friend of mine uh, who was working with the company. And these guys had gone from owning a vitamin shop Basically, wait, like an actual vitamin shop, like well, like a vitamin like website, website or, or whatever, okay. to wanting to build an, an exchange the size of Coinbase. <laughs> I mean, they they seem pretty successful, you know. They had all the the flashy stuff, right? Sure. They had a, some big names behind them as well, surprisingly. But they offered me to be an advisor, and they offered me three million dollars. Wow. Right, and that, that was a lot of money. Still is, but when I was speaking with them, they didn't really want to get any, take any advice from me. They wanted your name. They just wanted my name. Yeah. But what made me even more paranoid? They had the nerve to tell me, "Okay, you, you know what?" Because I asked them, right? Because before I join any project, I'm known as a t- token metrics guy. Sure. I have to know what's going on with with a token and the, the team and the whole token sale. So when I asked them, "Okay," What was the largest bonus given out? They they told me the amount and they told me 
but please don't tell anybody about this. There was a like a secret seed round. That's like the biggest red flag for me when someone tells me don't tell anyone else. Yeah. I told them, do you know like I can get in trouble for this with the SEC yeah. if I don't disclose this? Right? The fact that they wanted me to sign a contract with them and not disclose publicly that those so publicly they had these different rounds, but but there was a super secret seed round that they didn't tell anybody about. And they wanted me to keep that a secret. And I told them, you know what, guys? Thank you for the offer, but I cannot be a part of this. I'm out. So, I mean, I, I turned down $3 million. And now, today, that token is trading down 99%. I think almost 100% on exchanges. And it was definitely a a money grab, a, a cash grab. And looking at things like that, now that I have a big name publicly, if I can help prevent things like that, I would love to keep on doing that, right? And at times it means that I have to publicly go out and basically roast or just tell the entire world about what's going on, right? But now I'm actually doing that right now with a different project, and now it's kind of we're now getting into basically a legal dispute, right? So I'm kind oh. of going to let my lawyers handle that, but. I know that that makes me look bad as well, right? If that project goes out and does that and I just stay quiet and don't say anything, that also tarnishes my image as well. You can't put a value. There's no dollar amount for sleeping at night. Yeah. Right? Like you want to be able to sleep at night knowing that you're okay and you did everything right and to like constantly look over your shoulder or worry about something and stay up late at night, it's not worth $3 million. Yeah, absolutely not. Right, so that's kind of uh, what I've been growing through with crypto. But I mean, I still think this is an amazing space. Uh, there definitely are lots of interesting and sometimes opportunistic characters, individuals. But I think overall as a space, though, this has been a great space. Right, In terms of the people I've met on my crypto world tour last year, we did 36 countries in, in t- about 12 months, uh, did every single continent. And to me, it was really about meeting people all over the world and hearing the stories in crypto. You traveled to 36 countries. Yes. And and today you're living this decentralized life. You're not based out of anywhere. Mm-hmm. What's that like? I mean, that's kind of, it's like a dream almost. It's cool, but at the same time, it just sounds exhausting. I'm tired. It sounds <laughs> exhausting. Yeah, it definitely does sound exhausting. Uh, it is. But for me, I get re-energized every time I go to a new country, to a new place, and meet my friends, the people there, meet new friends. That really keeps me going on, right? What are the logistics of living a decentralized life? uh, I just live in a suitcase. I travel somewhere. I travel for about anywhere from one to three months. How many many outfits do you have that you don't need to do laundry? Oh, man. I mean, and sometimes because I don't know when I'm coming back, right? Because my my base is in Washington, D.C. Okay. But I may be gone for one month to three months. And sometimes I run out of clothes and I just keep on buying new clothes because <laughs> I'm, I'm very bad at doing laundry so, and I'm lazy. So at times I just keep on buying new clothes <laughs> and I say, you know what, um, it, it just kind of works out for me this way. But typically we, we stay in Airbnbs or hotels, right? Um, I love, I'm a points guy, as I was telling you earlier. Sure. Right. I'm a Hilton, Diamond, Marriott's, Ambassador, Platinum, all that. Yeah. And I have businesses I'm running globally, right? So if I can get points for my business and use that to even stay for free, I mean, that that helps the travel even more. You had a crazy story that you stayed for free in a really nice hotel. Yeah, so I had 
So I had about 680,000 American Express points that I was able to transfer over to Hilton and get like almost 2 million points, which let me stay in a five-star hotel in New York for a week, seven days for free. Wow. And I mean, things like that, I love, right? Because New York is a great city. I can be there for a week. We ended up investing in a company that was, that was part of Techstars. Uh, over I there. know it has nothing to do with crypto, but I need to get Brian Kelly, the points guy, on this show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that guy's he's amazing. He is. Love his work. But for me, traveling, ever, ever since I was a kid, I've always loved traveling. People don't, don't know this about me, but my best subject in school was social studies. Not math, even though I'm an engineer, not science, social studies. So when I was a kid back in Uganda, my dad bought me an atlas that had lots of different maps and also a geography book. And I would read that book and reread it every single day, just learning about different cultures. Like they would show us America, the maps of America, the different states. They'd also have the different foods. Like yeah. in, in America, they like hamburgers and pizza and things like that. I was just re reading about other countries. And to me, that was my favorite subject to a point where all throughout high school, I always got A's in social studies. And it was so easy for me that I said, you know what, let me become an engineer. Because I knew it was my favorite subject, but I also knew this probably won't make me much money, right? Because liberal yeah. arts at that time wasn't really something that... And I love computers as well. So after I've kind of done the whole being an engineer thing and kind of become successful, my goal when I could IBM was to travel the world. And I began doing that. And... If I can combine that with meeting people in the crypto space and blockchain space, even better. You remind me of a funny story. There's um, <laughs> the untold stories of Charlie. Um, so I'm sitting in the prison library one day, and I know any story that starts with the prison library, because um, you said Atlas. And mm -hmm. so in jail, there's no, there are no computers, right? There's no cell phones, internet. And so I'm sitting in there, and I see like five or six guys huddled over this big Atlas and I'm saying, that can't be good. Whatever they're talking about <laughs> is not a good thing. And I know these guys. One guy was a high-powered immigration attorney. The other one was actually a former diplomat. And mm -hmm. the other two guys were like, uh, one guy was a very high executive um, at Walmart who was in there for bribery. And a bunch mm -hmm. of other guys. <laughs> I walk over to them and I say, hey, guys, what what are you guys doing? And they, they looked at me very serious and they said, um, we're planning on buying a large chunk of Russia and seceding from Russia and creating our own country. And wow. yeah. And I was like, so what are they having in the cafeteria for dinner tonight? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I walked away saying, the scariest part is that these guys can actually probably pull that off. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's the story that you remind me of when you said Atlas and I love, <laughs> I love geography too. And um, you're right. You, you can't make money, but you know what though? When you can make money doing something that you may not love, um, it empowers you to be able to do something that you do love. But when mm -hmm. you can, when you could love what you're doing, it's not really work, right? And mm -hmm. we love what we're doing. I love doing this show. You love working in crypto, and we're all very fortunate. What did I say? We're psychologically unemployable. Yes. Yeah. Suit and tie, nine to five office, can't do it. I mean, I feel like you have to be though, right? If you want to really at least for us, if, to change the world and kind of get our ideas out there. I mean, I'm known for being very difficult to work with because I, I don't like to settle, right? I keep on raising the bar. Sure. 
All right, like I was talking to, talking to Diego the other day, my business partner. He's he's just kind of surprised at how constantly I'm pushing the bar and I'm raising the bar. Like we got, we'll go out there and do something, then we'll raise the bar ten times. Then we'll do that. Then we keep on raising the bar. It's exhausting. And he says, "Wow, like when do you stop?" And I say, "When you stop, that's when you stop at everything." Yeah. Right. Like that's when you really lose a purpose to living. Right. So to me, going back to, to talking about, about money, right? It's not about the money. Because people hear me say, hey, I want to be a billionaire and buy a basketball team. But to me, it's not really about the money. It's about the journey, right? And I feel like once you become successful at something and you stop, you just kind of, I mean, like, what's there to do? Go on a beach and be there for 10 years? I live on the right? beach. <laughs> but I feel like you have to make You're right. new it journeys gets boring. for you. It gets boring, right? So to me, it's about learning the process, right? Learning the journey, right? That's why I even called myself Diary of a Made Man because – was what really helped me the most was falling in love with the process of success. The Diary of a Made Man is very interesting because you're it's it's you're saying that I'm already made and this is my diary. This is now what I'm doing. What else incentivizes you? What else gets you out of bed at, and you know yeah. gets you out of bed in the morning when you've already been successful? And what's the answer to that? Just. Make a brand new goal, something you want to do, and fall in love with that process going towards there. All right. So I'll, I'll tell you the story behind Diary of a Made Man. So the whole story of becoming a made man comes from understanding the journey you had to get to to where you are, and understanding the why, why it was worth it. All right. So for me, right, the journey of coming as a kid from Uganda to America going through school, and I mean, my parents didn't really have much money, right? My parents were immigrants from Uganda. They were students. They had to work on a visa until, for about for almost 10 years until they could get a green card and become naturalized, right? So even though I had the grades in, in high school, I couldn't really get any financial aid because I, I was still an international student, right? So having to pay those kind of high tuition prices and seeing kids who weren't really as smart as me getting scholarships and federal aid and, and loans made it even tougher for me. And I recall I was basically eating uh, Happy Meals uh, through through college, right? Either Happy Meals or I'll just pack myself a a ham sandwich, right? Just like bread, ham, and cheese every day. And to go from that and to go through almost getting kicked out of school from losing my academic scholarship because I wasn't keeping on power with my grades, to then going to grad school and having to pay everything myself uh, and then graduating that to a point where at one point I thought I wouldn't graduate. I technically had to take two more classes to graduate and I think there might even have been a clerical error on one class, right? But I was there at graduation and a a professor came to me and said, hey, oh, wow, you graduated. Well, <laughs> I was there with my family and my That's parents really in my cap and gown. And this guy had the nerve to come up to me and get shocked and say, wow, you graduated. Well, that's why he's a college professor and not sitting in right? this chair. So having to go through all of that and going from eating Happy Meals basically every day to then overnight getting my first job at uh, Deloitte Consulting as an IT consultant. And then... After that, didn't really have to worry about money ever since then. And it really made me say, wow, like the success when I got my first corporate job, 
it came overnight. Because unlike most kids, I ne- I've never had an allowance my entire life. Like, like even when I would get gifts uh, during during birthdays or holiday or or holidays, my parents would take that money. Really? <laughs> right? Because they would have to to pay the bills, to buy food, to put bread on the table. Right? So I've never had an allowance my entire life. Right? The only thing that maybe I would get is probably like a video game. Right? But having to go through all of that and then, boom, overnight, never having to worry about money ever again. I was like, wow, I've made it. I was like, mama, I've made it. And it it's at that instant when that moment happens that I say, you know what? Now I know why this journey was so hard to get here. Now everything I've, ha- I've had to do, to sacrifice, to do, now it makes sense. It's basically like going through a tunnel. And when you finally get at the end of the tunnel, you realize why this journey was very difficult. Because I had friends of mine, some of them were even smarter than me, but they didn't, didn't make it from high school. Either they got into the wrong things, got involved in drugs, got involved with 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 girls or whatever, and now they're they're still at home, either working a, working as a bouncer at a club or just kind of getting in trouble, basically, right? So for me to now look back and see where I am, I'm now even more grateful with my mom and dad and kind of how they instilled in me the the discipline and, and sometimes how they forced it on me. Right, because one slip up, and I may not be where I am today. So now, looking back on the journey, I can say, "Wow, I've made it!" Right, and that's where the whole concept of a made man comes from. And the diary is documenting those small incremental steps, where one small thing could have gone wrong, and you would not be where you are. And the past is not dead; it's not even past. Yeah. You're constantly creating new memories. You're constantly growing and creating new ones. What do your parents think of all this? I mean, they they're they're very proud of me, right? Uh, they definitely they're more conservative than than I was, right? So when I told them, "Hey, I'm gonna quit my nice job <laughs> and go out in crypto world," they're like, "Are you sure about this?" Right? Uh, even when I was gonna change over from being an engineer to working in sales, they're also kind of nervous. But they've always they know I'm a risk taker, and they've always believed in me. And I think also having them as my safety net as also helped me take big risks, right? For example, quitting my job at IBM. I knew worst case, right? If I had no home, I could go live in my, in my parents' basement. Now, you've seen your parents, though, when you moved to this country. You've you've lived your parents having to make it. Your parents yeah. are, your your parents wrote their own diaries of, of made men and women, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think, I mean, yeah, I've learned so much from them, right? And even to this day, right, people say, why not get a place or whatever, right? I mean, I love traveling. I love being decentralized. But, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably funny to some people, but I'm a millionaire. But technically, you could say I still live with my parents. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, I mean, Listen, yeah. They do the laundry, though. Yeah, right? So, I mean, I had my, my place about half an hour away from sure. there. But I didn't want to keep that place as I'm traveling the world. So, I just got out of, of uh, broke the lease, put all my stuff in my parents' place. Yeah. And I just travel the world. Then when I get tired, I come back to them for like a week or two. Then I go back to traveling the world. It's so funny because the cosmopolitan world is like, you know, you have to live by yourself and you have to create this whole thing. And 
I mean, I would make fun of that, but I literally myself, I literally went from living with my parents to living with my now current wife. Like I never yeah. actually lived alone either. I always need to be to have like a woman take care of me. <laughs> I mean, so I mean, I'm very thankful for them, right? They've definitely helped me a lot and they've helped me get to where I am. And a person asked me the other day, uh, like who I'm most uh who inspires me the most, right? And I mean, to me, it's really my dad because he came from a village in Uganda, right? He came from a village, basically like a village with no electricity. Like bamboo and thatched huts. Yeah, like like, like, like either like huts or just like houses with just cement, Yeah, right? No running water or, or power for the most part. He came from there and he was a valedictorian all the all through high school, got a scholarship to go to college, was the best in his class, got a scholarship to go to the UK for grad school for two years in uh, England, was 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 the best in his class there, then got a scholarship to come to America at Penn State, wow, and brought the entire family here, right? So looking at that journey, and now he's staying in a nice house in one of the best parts of DC. So looking at that journey to where we are now and where he came from. When I, when I went, went back last year in December on my homecoming in, in Africa, I mean, to me, it's incredible, right? Because the only way he got out of there was through education. And that's why I'm very, now I can really understand why to them it was nothing but education, right? Because when you're growing up in Africa, I mean, not every kid is going to go play for Barcelona or, or, or play soccer, yeah, right? Or get, or become the next musician or whatever, or Hollywood star. Like the only the best consistent way out from the villages in Africa was education, right? And that's why my parents were both professors, right? And even to a point where it comes from, like if you go back and look through in my entire family line, my mom, my mom's great grandfather, when the British came to Africa during uh, colonialism, they took my my mom's great grandfather to England to study and come back and teach people in Uganda, in the villages, right? And ever since then, we've kind of had that educational teaching uh, discipline in our family. And now kind of it's kind of come full circle with me where I'm trying to teach and empower people through education in the crypto space. What a crazy story. To think that your family came from a village and you're you're the son of that and here you are today that's yeah. such an insane that's such an insane story and and i don't think anyone knew about this so um thank you for opening up on the show thank you for telling us your story and hopefully inspire my listeners um to be able to i think the takeaway is to don't have the fear and the worst thing that could happen to you is you fail and the worst thing that happens to you is you go down and you start all over again. But when you start from the bottom, you know, that you started from the bottom, then you're here, like that song. Mm-hmm. When you literally start from the bottom with nothing and you have nothing to lose, that's when you have the most to gain. Yeah, it definitely puts everything in perspective. Ian Bellina, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people follow you? Uh, so find me at ianbellina.com. That's where I post most of my content. Uh, on Twitter and social media, I'm Diary of a Made Man. On Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Charlie. It's, it's a pleasure, and I'm very humbled to be here. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. 
This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Scott Offord, the creator of Crypto Mining. Scott's a broker of ASIC mining gear and helps people buy and sell their miners. He created a Bitcoin mining profitability calculator and an interactive ASIC hardware comparison chart that you can find at cryptomining.tools. It's the only free online tool for calculating profitability and days to ROI. That includes the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having. The calculator lets you put in your estimated uptime to give you a more realistic profit projections. So check it out and find Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro, the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume per year. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets with low and transparent fees. And if you're not ready to trade yet, practice building your crypto portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. Best of all, you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders around the world, myself included, to discuss trading, charts, and all things crypto. Create an account at eToro.com. Links in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.